Hi, this is Caitlin McFarland. And this is Emily Gibson. And we're the co-founders of ATX Television Festival. And you are listening to the TV Campfire. So, Emily. M. Miss <laughs> <Kate>. Gibson. <laughs> Co-founder of it now. Go down a whole introduction of Emily Gibson. Um, <laughs> what words would you use to describe me? Oh, I have so many. Oh, really? Like what? Uh, vibrant. Oh, that's a good word. I was to think, in that moment, <laughs> I was trying to think of that word that somebody used for you that is not accurate, but I oh, was going to make a joke about it. Oh, what did it. they use? It wasn't composed. What was it? It wasn't closed. Cut. Contained. Contained. You are yes. not contained. They like, did. They did. You are not contained. Me. You are anything but contained. I cannot contain you. But as you know, but I'm not sure everybody else knows, about, honestly, if, even if we're being generous, about 90% of our programming is about scripted television. Yes. We're past, present, and future, but very small percentage, 10 or less, is unscripted. We do like growing that. This year we did uh, a Vice News panel, which I had somebody come grab me afterwards and say, oh, my gosh, it was your first news panel. Please do more of those. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crossover now between news and entertainment in ways that I'm not comfortable with. Uh, But we've done panels in the past on sort of the idea of the producers of Unscripted. We're we're not really super keen on the talent of Unscripted. Just it feels like a whole different genre. Yes. But the idea of making Unscripted and what reality is and the evolution of reality is something that we find very interesting. And so we've had, you know, the – sort of evolution of reality on MTV was a panel one year that was super cool. Um, and sort of docu-series was another panel. But this year, we decided to focus on competition shows, very specifically. And we did a panel called Game On, a look at competition series. And it was funny, the debates that came into play a little bit about what we've gotten in debates about reality. And I'm not like a super reality fan, but I probably watch the most of anybody in the office. I, yep, I'm going to say that's true. Okay, just so I can at least have that moniker. But we've had different debates that are fun about what the different sections of reality are or unscripted are, and there's sort of lifestyle. I heard a new one. Yeah, what was the new one we just heard? It was OcuSoap. OcuSoap. Yeah. You're correct. Yes. So an occupational soap. So that's things like Below Deck or Vanderpump Rules because it's all centered around where they work. Was a new term for us. Yes, I'm glad we. Which is also that. very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I feel like, more lifestyle-based ones, things that are on like HGTV and things like that. So competition series brought up questions of like, what exactly is a competition series? And for a while there, somebody was telling me that The Bachelor was not, and I went to the the, the mats about it. They were saying it was not. It a was competition not a competition. Series, but there's series. a winner at the end. Exactly. I mean, I don't know that she's a. I don't know. That they, <laughs> I don't know what they win. But yes, there is somebody chosen, and you. They are, win a rose, right? Yeah. So are we basically. Well, no. At the end, they apparently are getting married. They win a boy. Oh, or, or a girl, girl if well, it's bad. on the other way. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so we. I'm just bringing that up more in the end debate. We did not have somebody <laughs> from The Bachelor on this panel, but. It was interesting to sort of think that there is competition series and then there are game shows. And game shows are also a competition, but it feels like a kind of separate thing, like, because it's a single episode. And so this particular panel very much focuses on competition series. So we had producers from The Challenge, Dancing with the Stars, and Making It, the Amy Poehler, Nick Offerman crafting show on NBC. One step closer. <laughs> We're getting there. We're so close. Um, that's not why we invited her, but you know, I'm retrospect. But it was a really interesting conversation that was moderated by Emily Longretta from Us Weekly. I do want to say uh, Andrew Linares. I hope I'm saying his name right. From Dancing with the Stars, had a travel issue getting to the festival. A delayed flight. A delayed if you will. flight. Is nobody's control, and so he did Skype in. So the audio may be a little different from him, and that might be why. I like that. I mean, I think we can absolutely grow this section of the festival, but I do enjoy the conversations about them and the debates that come up of like defining things. What is yeah. a docu series? What is a competition series? I am just excited that we pulled this one off because it took a little bit of work. <laughs> I know, I know, and there it's funny. Scripted comes so naturally to us at the festival, and unscripted is just a bit harder. And I feel like we haven't quite broken through that yet. Where there's so, I mean, there's so many competition shows out there, mm-hmm. and finding the right people to be on 
in the pandemic like this, it doesn't feel like it should be as hard as it was. No, and I think part of that is because there are certain things that get specialized. It's like music. Music is a big part of television, but music is a different beast than what we do, and it they are treated differently. Music festivals are made differently than a television festival. And I think Unscripted does, you know, sort of exist in its own space as big as it is and as much as it crosses over on networks and platforms and viewers and things like that. It is made differently. It has different budgets. Its talent is different. There are kind of, I don't want to say different standards in the sense that one is higher than the other, but in the way that they treat one another within their own industries is different. And therefore, showcasing it is always a different conversation because the thing we've said is we don't really want to screen an episode of a competition series or of a reality show, but I don't know why exactly in this exact moment. Um, (laughs) Well, they've they've changed a lot. They have. Over the years, and I think that there are actually episodes that would be interesting to screen now in retrospect. Did Vice News? Oh, Vice News screened clips and talked about itself as like a news program. It's sort of like where do you continue where do you contain yourself in a even in our scripted there is sort of we've said before like we are not vidcon does you know youtube and things like that that are web series and digital series and we don't do a whole lot of that because i mean we're only four days and you only have 80 pieces of programming which is a lot but you have to create some barriers just to understand how you're going to program something so we've opened up unscripted, I think, into this 10% space, but it's probably because it's only 10% that it actually becomes difficult because it's not like we're a reality festival and like they're like, yes. And they're all coming because that is also true because our other panels that we have, we are pulling from people that are there for a screening Mm -hmm. or a reunion and then we're putting them on these mixed topic panels where when we're having someone come in for a unscripted based conversation – that's just what they're coming in for. Like very rarely can they be on more than one panel. It probably exists somewhere to do that crossover to something topical in the same way that we can get animated on. But at the same time, animated is a – unscripted is also storytelling, but it's a different type of storytelling. If you could be on any competition show, what would you be on? Amazing Race. Okay, see, I think Amazing Race is definitely up there for me, but – I couldn't be on the show because I am not a celebrity, but I would love to be on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, I would not. But I like that you would. I think it would be so much fun and just learning all the yeah, dances. And really I possible. think that it would be really cool to be that. Yeah. So maybe my goal is to be a celebrity so then I could be on Dancing with the Stars. Sure. Or maybe we pitch a not celebrity version. Like you're dancing with a celebrity. Like it's somebody who can't dance. Like, I'm dancing with someone that can't dance? No, well, you are the person that can't dance, but oh. you're dancing with a celebrity that can dance. Okay. I could I could get into I that. Know. I mean, because you have— I just want to make this make sense. I mean, maybe, like, maybe Kevin Bacon is oh. the dancing guru. Exactly. See, and I could be right Kevin path. Bacon's partner. Oh, John oh, Travolta. Oh, this is a great new idea for a show. As opposed, It's like the opposite of Dancing with the Stars, yeah. where the star is the dancer. Yeah. And then Jennifer Lopez. And then it's like regular people that get to dance. Yeah, now it's, yeah. Oh, this is yeah. a great idea I did for a this show. For you. Copywriting it right now. Great. Sars. It just goes to show we don't have enough conversations about competition series because there are some really great in-depth conversations that can be had. And I think that this is a really interesting one, and I'm glad we had it at the festival. And I think we should have it again. Yes. Uh, with more people. But without further ado, here is Game On, a look at competition series moderated by Emily Longretta from Us Weekly. Hi, guys. I am Emily Longretta. I am the senior entertainment editor for Us Weekly, and I'm a huge reality TV fan. Um, So I'm very excited about this panel. We are missing a panelist today, but we will be having a little video session with him. So I apologize on his behalf. Um, But first, I want to bring out my other panelists here, Julie Peasy, who is the EP on MTV's The Challenge, and Nicole Yaron, who is the EP on Making It on NBC. Perfect. All right. So as you see, um, Andrew Larnes is not here. He is the EP of Dancing with the Stars. But we are going to have him Skype in so we can ask a few questions uh, to him. Now, are we ready to Skype in, Andrew? Oh, hello. Hi. (laughs) Good. Thank you so much for joining, even via Skype. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, I'm so sorry I'm not there. I had the craziest, craziest travel situation today. So, um, so big apologies. I wish I was there with you all in Austin, but thanks for having me on Skype. Yes, absolutely. I want to start off kind of asking, we just saw a clip of the incredible production value that Dancing with the Stars does every single season. Um, what kind of prep, how much prep goes into doing a live show every week? Because I think that's something not many reality shows does is have that live element. So how much ahead of time planning can you do with that, with a show being live every single week? Well, we're on air. I mean, we're for this coming season, we're on air in September. And we, you know, we've been planning most of the year, actually, what we're going to be doing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're in it at the moment. But I think, you know, what once we're in the season, we are, we are, we are in the trenches and every week we're turning around, you know, 10, 12 performances every week. So it's a, it's a, it's a big old task and we have a, an amazing team of people that come together to do that. You know, you have big performances like the one you just saw, which was a huge epic thing. Um, but also each of the individual performances for, for each of the couples is, is, is also very ambitious every week. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I feel like, overall dancing has kind of become something that people watch every year for a little bit of a, pr a fresh take. Um, and obviously athletes was last year, which was a whole new world. Is there some kind of, you guys have ideas about more exciting changes you want to do down the road? Well, I think, I, I think what you said is exactly what I think we all, all of us as producers are always thinking, you know, you never want to stand still. You always want to do something that's going to be exciting for the viewers, exciting for the fans, exciting for us as producers. You know, I always want to feel that kind of tingle inside when I'm, when I'm making a show. And, you know, I think we, we probably all do. I'm sure everybody else that's there today feels the same way. You want to get those shivers when you're making a show. And I think... There's something in a show like this that has performance at its heart where you, you know, you can bring that combination of great music, great performance, great staging together to create those moments that make you feel something magic, you know, and I, I, I want us to create magic every single week. But I also think it's important that when we come back with the new season, that it does feel like it's got something fresh, you know, and that's tough for a show like Dancing with the Stars. It's been on for 27 seasons now. So, you know, going into season 28, we're asking ourselves, how do we make it feel fresh? How do we move it on? But we have a lot of exciting ideas. We're super excited about this season coming up. Um, I, th I hope we will continue to surprise the audience and give them something fresh and new. Love it. I love it. Um, well, I also want to ask a little about casting. I know you have a whole team behind that that goes into the whole process. But I want to ask what you kind of look for when you're looking for celebrities to be on the show. And if there's anything you kind of avoid when looking, like if there's any red flags that you're like, all right, let's not cast them. Well, I think, I think first of all, I think we all we all want, you know, we want we want that cast to be full of people who who, who the audience are going to be excited to see, you know, we want, you know, it's called Dancing with the Stars and we're working really hard for this coming season on on, on fulfilling that promise of it being stars that are dancing on the, on the dance floor. And again, that's challenging after 27 seasons. A lot of big stars have done the show already. So I think that that's important. I think as well, you know, you want you want people, you want people to come on the show who 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 people will be interested to see. You'll think, my goodness, I wouldn't have thought of them them coming on and dancing and, 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 and surprising it. So I think you want that. You want that kind of headline, oh my God, wow, they're doing it. But at the same time, you want people who you know are going to come into this and actually embrace this. It's a slightly crazy thing we're asking people to do. You know, these people are very successful celebrities in their, in their own right. You know, they, they don't particularly want to have a career necessarily as a boring dancer at the end of this. But I think that we want them to come in and experience this and actually you know, go, go, go. It's, it's an overused word in our world, you know, the, the journey, but you want them to go on a journey over the, uh, over the process of the week. So I think it's a bit of a mix. It's star value, but it's people who are also going to going to really get something out of the experience, because I think as an audience, you, you, you then go on that ride with them. And that's that's an amazing thing. Absolutely. And uh, we don't want to keep you too much longer, but I wanted to ask about you guys have done athletes, you've done juniors, you've obviously done so much on this show. Is there any extensions you want to take on? Is there any new twist that you have like a dream that you would want to do down the line? Do you know what I think? I, 
I actually, you know, because I'm quite new to the show. I've been here. I've only been here for about a year, and um, you know, and I think I think when we're looking forward to the to, to what's coming, I think it's about taking the core show now. You know, we have done a few different versions over the last couple of years, but I think um, I, I want us to get the core version to a place where that feels really fresh and new, actually. So we're 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 playing around with that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining even via Skype. I know you wanted to be here and we all wanted you to be here, but we'll sure we're sure we'll talk to you guys you soon again. Yeah, well, I hope maybe this time next year I can be there in person. But yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Apologies again, I didn't make it, but great speaking to you. Thank you so much. Can we just give him a round of applause, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty. Oh, that light. Whew. Um, okay, so I want to dive into the panelists who are on stage. Um, starting off with the challenge, I want to preface with this incredible clip from War of the Worlds, which I think is probably the most intense thing that we've seen on the show in a long time. So it was it was a good one. Julie, I want to ask you a little about especially that, but overall, when going into creating a challenge like that or something that is so extreme, like we've seen season after season, how much prep time goes into that? How many times do you test that with different weights, different people, different everything? So with a challenge like that, I mean, obviously we prep months in advance, um, but finding to actually find that plane, we had to go to another country. Um, and then they tested it for like 10 days. So they did all the rigging and then tested it multiple times till they got it right. Um, obviously, we put a lot of effort into making sure that everything's really safe. So we test things over and over again. Um, to be honest, that was really very safe because it was completely rigged, so it was just twisting. But the experience for the cast members being inside there was obviously simulating a, a, a crash. So, you know, really when you looked at it, they were just doing a puzzle. But it's a way to really, like, heighten the experience um, and to sort of overcome the obstacles of essentially fear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, puzzles are really difficult puzzles to do. Puzzles are really hard. And by the way, puzzles have made or broken certain Almost challengers in finals. Season. I know. Almost every season. It's Always comes down to a puzzle. Yeah. So teach your children to do puzzles. You might go to the gym a lot, but it that's could be the It could be a million dollars on the line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the show has changed a lot through the years as it started out. Uh, with Road Rules Real World only. What is it? How many years ago was it? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, we started them in 1997. Yes. Or so 1996. So like probably older than some people in this room. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. It's changed a lot. How do you kind of, what is the philosophy behind the casting decision versus like having new people come on the way that say Big Brother Survivor has new faces a lot versus having these vets that people are dying to see come on the show. Um, and is social media play into that? Because I mean, I we've talked about this. The challenge is so huge on social media. People are live tweeting. People are constantly asking, we want to see Alton. We want to see Mark Long, things like that. What is the conversation with that? Like how much of that goes into it? See, I listened to your podcast, so I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> the truth she is, cheated, Emily guys. knows more about the show than I do <laughs> because she studies it like analysis, like it's real analysis. Um, so the casting, first of all, social media does matter. Um, like any cable network or any cable show, we're always tasked with making it bigger. And we, our fan base is so important to us, but we have to know that we need to continually grow our fan base. Um, so... You know, for a long time, Real World and Road Rules were sort of a feeder into the Challenge franchise. Road Rules went off the air some time ago, and and Real World hasn't done... Well, Real World's coming back, by the way, to Facebook Watch. But for a couple of seasons, we didn't have Real World. So we really needed a place to sort of find and incubate talent. And that's where we really started looking at um, going after talent from other franchise series. Hence, War of the Worlds isn't... It's really the worlds of reality that we're talking about. Um, and really trying to grab some of the fan base that exists out there already while still keeping our vets because our vets are the reason why the franchise is so big. It's the reason people come back year after year, but they get bored with each other too, you know, like only playing against each other. It's always important to bring in some new faces and also some new competition, which War of the Worlds really showed us that like a lot of times we have always been hesitant to put 
other people up against our challengers because they're so good and they're so fierce and they really know how to play the game. So most of the time, like in Champs versus Stars, our cast were killing these like amazing athletes. So to find people that can compete at their level is always really difficult. So we brought in people like Natalie Ninja and Turbo and Theo, who are all incredible athletes. And what we found is that they were fierce competition. Definitely. And they also still brought the drama, which is obviously a huge aspect. It's a huge aspect. The other thing, too, is just to speak to like the Derricks and the Marks. We also, the first point of entry into casting a new cycle is based on our theme. So we work with MTV to identify a theme, and then we're using that theme theme to guide us. So a lot of times people that we would love to bring back, we can't find a rival for, or they don't have a vendetta against somebody. And in this case, we were really looking for sort of the all-stars from our challenge franchise to pit against the all-stars from other reality franchises in World War of the Worlds. Definitely. I can't think of anyone who doesn't have a vendetta, but I think that that's just me. <laughs> I mean, who's who's Mark's vendetta? Yeah, that's true. Or, er- I guess or Derek. people who really love They're everyone. good competitors. Yeah. But we also, we will never say no. Like we look at everybody every season, yeah. but I, but, and we do try to listen to the audience and find out who they really want back and try to address that. For sure. Um, and then obviously there's a lot of uh, talk about bringing in different shows because it started, like you said, real world road rules, but then it also branched out to, are you the one? And then it now has gone to the UK. Is it going to continue branching out? Like, is there any, re- like, is any reality star now up for grabs? Well, We do have three new real worlds coming out in just a week. (laughs) So we feel like we have some new talent pool to play with. But I will say that, you know, um, programming has become really global. And the truth is, is our show airs all around the world. And we're trying to attract a viewer base that is all over the world. I mean, when you watch Netflix or you watch YouTube, you're watching the same programming that people in other countries are able to see. So we are really looking to make sure that our audience can be global um, obviously, our American-based audiences are priority, but I think there's you know a lot of Americans that were watching Love Island before it ever made its way Absolutely. over to CBS. So I think that there's you know an appetite out there for characters from all different walks of life. Of course. And are you personally a reality TV fan? Like, do you watch a lot of reality TV? I do. I don't. I don't watch. I mean, again, like you're an expert. <laughs> Like I make the shows, you know, the shows, like I'm so impressed with you. Um, I, I watch a lot of cuts every week, like 30 hours minimum. So I, but I do try to catch new shows as they come out and especially ones that are buzzworthy shows that are our competitors and then certainly anything that just interests me. Yeah, definitely. Um, talking about themes a little bit, we've had a lot of different themes. Is there one that you specifically really liked? Cause you've been working on the show for quite some time. Um, or one that you would like never want to do again that just didn't work? I think Battle of the Sexes is a hard show. Um, it was one of our first, we did Battle of the Seasons, which I was actually showrunner on, and then Battle of the Sexes, which I also show ran. And Battle of the Sexes was really hard because trying to devise competitions, which is always a challenge that um, are equally um that a woman or a man could win equally. And that's why we have things like puzzles and stuff because of just sheer physical size. Um, So Battle of the Sexes is a hard one to do again. We thought Cutthroat did really well. It was a three-team strategy, and um, we really liked that one. We haven't been able to bring it back yet. Mm -hmm. And then Rivals, of course, was our highest-rated season, although this year is our – we've had the best numbers this year than in, like, five or six years now. So we're super excited about this season. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. I'm so excited. Um, And the season 34 is coming soon. Uh, I know you can't say much. Is there anything you can tell us about the season? Um, Our showrunner, Justin Booth is at the helm. So expect a really wild ride. Um, we have an incredible cast. Um, we're shooting it right now. We're about a third of the way done in a foreign territory. That doesn't give you <laughs> any information, territory. does it? A foreign location, <laughs> so not here. a foreign secret. Lo- this is what I want a question for you. H- who are your sources and how do they know everything? <laughs> I mean, I'm absolutely dumbfounded by the information that is available on the World Wide Web about a season that we have worked so hard to keep secretive. Like our cast don't even know where they're going until they're about to board a plane. And then people find out stuff that I cannot confirm or deny, but I'm absolutely astounded by um, the detective work that goes into it. Well, I'm not, I'm not, a, we don't spoil. Um, I work for us weekly and we don't spoil I know, anything. And we thank but, you. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, there are sources that 
part of the job is to not reveal them. But yeah, I, I would say I know a lot. I know a lot of the MTV team and I mean, it's not Watergate. Like you can reveal your sources. (laughs) Well, in the same sense, then you can reveal something too. I can, but MTV pays my bills. So I have to defer to them. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, But, um, but we have a very exciting season and, and to talk about spoilers, it is, it is such a partnership between us and the cast. Um, that we, you know, part of the reason why people watch is because of the surprises along the way. And it really giving that up on social is obviously detrimental to the success of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, When we lose viewers, we could ultimately lose lose our show, which, you know, we're not in that position right now. So we work a lot with the cast to not give stuff away. But it's a, um, it's like a weekly conversation. Absolutely. We have to make lots of side calls of like, take that down and why have you put that up and so on. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. The, the challenges of reality TV, I guess. Um, well, I do want to also, Nicole, I want to speak to you about making it because it's a lot different, not as much competition, I would say. Yes, <laughs> we're talking about three very different shows today yeah. here, guys. Um this show definitely is unlike most other things that we see on TV, especially in the reality TV world. How like, how and why did you come up with this idea? So I worked in award shows and on The Voice for many, many years. And I basically worked 52 weeks a year and 14 weeks of live shows a year and 300 hours of television a year. And it was, it was, it, I loved it. I like loved every minute of it. And a lot of ways like, you know, like I worked on the Oscars, but like only the voice let me have both Tigers and Pyro on stage. <laughs> like Shout it was, the voice. yeah, like, like yeah. dancing with the stars. It's like very addictive to be like, can we do a parade? Yes. Great. Like, can we shut down the street? Can we like, it's, it's like, oh, can we just rent out like the entire New York neighborhood of Universal and have like a giant outdoor concert for zero reason? Sure. (laughs) So cool. So I came from that world and a world of like bigger, 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 bigger. And I just started thinking like, what would a, what would a competition show be that had no stakes? Like I just, and it struck me as very funny if you just like never had a twist and told everybody up front and like, just like, and, uh, and the amazing way we're going to reveal this to you is we're just gonna tell you like, <laughs> it to basics. yeah. So like I started thinking about what, how, what could be really funny. And one of the reasons I really loved the voice and I really love, I love, I love the challenge. I've seen every episode. I, if it wasn't against you know, the voice for many years, I would have watched every ver- every version of Dancing with the Stars. But one of the reasons I love competition television, it is what I think is the closest to when we were all like, you know, early man sitting around a campfire and being like, everybody do our dances or do your songs and like showing off talent. I think there's something really powerful and really connective about showing talented people. Like, not just celebrities, but in the waste of, cele- of celebrity culture, just finding talented people and athletic people and people who can like run that ninja race and like do all these things. It's something I find it really aspirational, even though I never do any of it. And, <laughs> and I find it like it's to me, it's a way to show the best parts of what I think regular people can be and regular people can do. I find it really inspiring in my own life. Plus, I don't allow like I don't allow in my life to kind of have like super nastiness because it's just uh, addictive. And I feel like once you start, it just kind of like takes over everything. So at The Voice, it was a really lovely environment. But because we all came from award shows, because most competition shows are they're like come over from the UK and then the UK team comes with it or it's like MTV people like MTV was the st- was the beginning of this and they raised so many people. I always say MTV people are great because they know how to do everything. You know, like it's literally like you hire an MTV vet and you're like, you're good, right? Great. See you in six weeks. Cause I'll never have to think about you again. Cause you know how to do everything. <laughs> so it's, it's really great to kind of like on the voice, we kind of just like got called up in the middle of award seasons and we're like, Hey, NBC is going to do this new singing show. So you're going to do it. And then we all, 
all these award show people went to run a competition show. Like we didn't know any better. So we accidentally created an environment and a culture on set of like being really kind to people. Like never one time on The Voice from the day they get off the plane, the first day we call them from open calls, we never call them contestants. We always call them artists. And because we call them artists the whole time, they felt like artists. They worked like artists. They were professional like artists. They they became what we thought they would be because we were so used to like running green rooms for award show. It didn't occur to us to like treat them any different than like, I don't know, Alison Hannigan for best comedy supporting actress of the People's Choice Awards. Like it just was, it's this, it was the same system. So creating that culture and getting to know backstage and what people could do, it just really made me start thinking about like what what would a whole show be like if it wasn't if I wasn't crying every Tuesday night with Carson Daly over every elimination, which he posted numerous times about and makes very much fun of me for. So I just started thinking about it, and I had it in my back pocket for a long time, and just developing, developing, developing the idea, and then I I went to Amy Poehler, and I was like, I know that this is what you like to do. I know you don't do unscripted, but I know your ethos. I know what your company does. I know who you are. And I know you and Nick have a 20 year friendship. So what do you think of this? And she was like, I love it. I want to host it. I want to do it. We went to NBC and to their credit, they totally got it. Even though the pitch was like, imagine a show with no stakes. (laughs) Now go lower. (laughs) We literally want to make a show about watching paint dry. (laughs) And it works and people watch. So apparently that's what people want to see too. Um, Have you thought about like the power of having more celebrity guests on, having people that obviously Nick and Amy, like you said, they have this friendship that people are drawn to. Mm -hmm. um, And they have this background, obviously, that people love them more of their friends, things like that. Or is it more for you about focusing on the artists that are there's a practical reality of like we have a hard time just getting the 42 minutes because we between telling story and showing process and just them hanging out and comedy stuff like we have a hard time fitting that all in so whenever we talk about it it's kind of like but where it would it would feel very shoehorned in I think I think there's I think there's a world where we're trying to figure out how we can do it because I mean look at wine country it's like that's her group text you know so like we 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 think about it a lot we just have to get to the point where we like everything in post is like dialing in the right amount of like your different components of Mm -hmm. absolutely um what can you say about what's coming next what you guys are doing because i know you have some special uh holiday (laughs) content coming yeah so we're moving to the holidays because it's we thought when else do you forget to buy presents and need to make something with the things you have in your home lying around? <laughs> so, what a wonderful time to show people what they can do with their pantry cabinets and, and stuff lying in the garage. Um, so we're moving to the holidays, which I think is a good time for us. And, you know, season two, we are really raising the stakes. We... Definitely have them working with actual meat. Uh, we <laughs> we uh, have eight people and or ten people instead of eight. It's just bigger and better, guys. Bigger and better. Can I just say, when Nicole <laughs> sold this show, it was in the trades, and it was like all of a sudden there was like NBC bought a craft show. <laughs> And, like, I've been pitched 150 craft shows, and I always pass on them because I'm like, I could never sell a craft show. So, like, the day that was announced, I got, like, 150 phone calls from people being like, craft is so hot right now. NBC just bought it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, did you see the headline that, like, Amy Poehler is attached to this project? But it was, like, it was a massive upset. Like, nobody believed, or, I mean, nobody could sell a craft show until oh, you uh, guys basically 100%. Proved that people could watch it. Yeah. And yes, you have star-studded talent, but obviously it's serving servicing an audience, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's uh I mean, it's it's obviously it's Amy Poehler and Nick are like legacy NBC talent. Like we have and super famous. Yes, also also America's sweetheart and comedy superstar Amy Poehler. Um but I I I knew that that pitch was never going to happen unless I unless we 
developed it around. And my pitch, by the way, changed substantially after going through Paper Kite, as I'm sure Russian Doll and all the other, you know, Paper Kite stuff does, because it's about, it's truly her and Nick's vision, you know, of like what they think is important and what isn't. It's like, I can honestly say that that show is, is, and I think this is true of Dancing with the Stars and of the challenge. Like, if it doesn't feel like authentically real people, it just doesn't work. And I don't think that the, as much as like the joke about watching paint dry is like kind of true, it's like, the real story is in these amazing people. They're people who you would never see on TV, like never, but are super talented. And like the winner from season one lives in Austin. You should go to his shop. Um, he's a Kiem is going, he's actually going to be an aerospace engineer. So that's what he did with his winning money. Um, you know, normal. the to normal, normal, totally normal people on TV. Um, so I assume the casting for that is a little bit different than the casting for usual reality yes. TV. Yes, so yes. Imagine, 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 like literally imagine the opposite of your casting. Like we have to like go into yarn stores and like convince people to like introverts to talk to us. Be like, hi, Sally, who works at the yarn store. Who are your favorite customers? Would you ever consider being like, it's like finding talented people and then begging them to be on TV. Yeah, like don't begging. Be yes. They don't want to be famous. And then even when they're on set, they work alone a lot. So one of the biggest challenges of our production and if anyone's d developing a show about introverts, let me give you this tip. <laughs> it's very hard to get them to talk. Like part of like, it's like you, like when producers drop by to be like, what are you working on? You get a lot of like a flower. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. What about that flower? <laughs> Can you tell us one more word about said flower? <laughs> How are we on the same panel? <laughs> like, kudos to ATX for putting this together. This is incredible. I love it so much. Um, well, here's something you both can actually talk a little bit about. The time it takes to film a season. I assume it's very different also. But uh, like, how much from beginning to from the moment that you're looking in the casting room and you're putting all the faces up on the wall to all right, we're airing. How long is that process? Uh, for me, it's 12 weeks of casting, three weeks of what we call boot camp, which is where we kind of put them through like, hey, woodworker, have you ever tried clay before? Now's your time to try. Uh, and then we see kind of who comes out of the end of boot camp with kind of the best, what we think is like all around originality and creativity and technique and all of that. Um, so we do boot camp. Then we do, uh, then they come in and they kind of s shop, set up their thing. Like, unlike a cooking show, which has basic things that you can put in a pantry, real hard to do that with different crafters. Sure. <laughs> also, we try to do that many times and it's always like, it always ends with like the art department crying about like glue gun sticks <laughs> and what size. It's always just like, just let's just, let's just let them shop like, so they come in to like set up their stations and like what they need and work with the art department on what they need and what materials. Then because of Amy and Nick's crazy schedule, we basically shoot episodes in two or three days and we shoot it all in a month. Impressive. Whew. Yeah, it is it's a not. Busy month. It's a it's hard. And we chase the sun, obviously, because we shoot in a barn in the middle of nowhere. Not easy. Julie, what about you? Um, we, this is pretty much down to a science for about four weeks of pre-production, I mean, four months of pre-production, usually 10 to 11 weeks, depending on the size of the order of, um, production. So we have our, our cast out in location for a good amount of time. And then we edit, um, at the same time. So the second we get our footage back into the country, we are start editing. So, um, usually the editorial process about two months per episode. Okay. And I will be opening up to questions at the end. So just so you guys uh, can, if you have any ideas for questions. Um, when you're watching a current season, is there, what goes into that thinking for next season? Like, are you thinking if this person, this person won or this person created a lot of drama, let's get them for next season? Like, is that going through your mind when you're filming a current season already? Are you asking if Polly is coming back? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is one I, of my questions. I feel like you could totally moderate this panel. The conversations we were having backstage, Nicole. Tell me more about Bear. 
you know I can't reveal our cast. But of course, of course, of course not people, when people are amazing and you're like, this character is so unexpected, right. which we had a lot of this year. I mean, yes. I was blown away by some of the characters on that came out of the new casting for uh, More of the World, Worlds. We didn't know. You know, there's something that we call like buy-in, which is, you know, it's an artificial world we're asking these participants to live in, you know, and if they're like, if they buy in and they're all in, that's when you get the best show. They're not fighting against the idea that they don't have a phone or computer or they don't really know what time it is. And, um, you know, it's it's like an artificial world, you know. Are there so, no clocks in the, in the house? I mean, not really. Yeah, I never because, thought about that. Because, but. like, usually most people look at their phone to figure out what time course, it is, yeah. and they really don't, they don't have those. Right. I mean, it's literally like they're living in the dark ages. <laughs> and, you know, they, you know, obviously the, the sun helps. But they, so I think... <laughs> When we see somebody really pop, we get we get pretty excited. Yeah. Um, and and if they really buy in and they play the game and they and they mean it, like they're really all in, they that makes a really great character for the series. Definitely. Has there been someone you really want? Nicole, did you want to say? something? Yeah, I have a question. Go ahead. So because I watched all TV, I was shocked by how much Pauly was different on Big Brother than he was on War of the Worlds. I think he's incredible like he's much better on the challenge i think Absolutely. though he played a good social game on big brother but like how how did you get that out of him so i mean i, I make a lot of different types of shows and there's a lot of shows that we really have to kind of like push along and produce the challenge and real world are truly shows that we we don't produce the cast. I mean, like we produce TJ, like he has lines, mm -hmm. but we actually don't ask them to do anything other than we'll, we do interview them every week. And in that time, it's the time that the producers can ask them questions about their experience. But for the most part, like I was as shocked as you were. Like, I think he, his character continues to evolve yeah. and you don't even really know who he is, right? No. Because he's many people. He's, this is so true. It's a good way to put it. He's many people. Yeah. That's going to be my headline. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there a vet that you would love to see come back that you guys just haven't been able to get? Whether it's, I know that there's some people who like have a different job that they can't take the time off or things like that, or that just don't want to do it again because being on reality TV is a job in itself. So is there anyone that you... Yeah, I mean, I'm super old school, so I would say, like, I would love to see Rachel. But she just had, like, twins, so yeah, she's she not is. coming back. But she's a fierce competitor. I would love to see Coral. I mean, sure. die for her. Oh, she's yes. amazing. <laughs> but a lot of our um, the people that participate in these shows have, like, grown up, and they've had children, and they have real responsibilities and real jobs, so they can't just give up their life for three months. But, like, it would be a dream. Also, Theo Vaughn, who was on my yes. first Road Rules season that I produced by myself, was um, he's an incredible comic. He would be so great, mm -hmm. but you know he's never going to do it. And the same with Mike, Mike the Miz. Yeah. Like, he will host our show, right. but he's never going to do it again. But he was an incredible competitor. Yeah. I don't think WWE would let him do it now. No, because it's actually... I mean, it's people really do hard. sometimes, like, you know, it's it's like, it's physical. Yeah, absolutely. That's It's intense. So, Emily, as this podcast grows, we've been trying to figure out how to partner with more people that help grow the podcast a little bit more, but also speak to our podcast listeners. Yes. Uh, I think our podcast listeners are a lot like our festival attendees, half industry, half fan, but then also industry sort of, I don't want to say hopeful, so that sounds silly, but like, oh, prosumers. I heard that word Oh, recently. yes, 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 yes. Prosumers, meaning that you're professional sort of transitioning from consumer into professional. Uh, so we, I didn't know about this company until we started doing these podcasts and they reached out to us and it seemed like the perfect fit to put them on the podcast, which is Audio Network, in case you didn't know either, because I didn't. It is a global music company creating original, high-quality music for television, digital media, and advertising, with more than 150,000 wholly-owned tracks from renowned composers, respected producers, independent artists. The catalog covers a broad range of genres that offers simple licensing across platforms anywhere and forever, which I think is super cool because music licensing and music supervising and all of those things is incredibly difficult and complicated. Uh, it's very hard. And I actually wanted to be a music supervisor at one point in my life career and then realized, 
one, how much paperwork it is. I thought it was just going to be sitting around the listening to good music. Yard. Yes. <laughs> Getting to listen to cool music and imagine what it would look like in a TV show or a movie. And I feel like what Audio Network does is it lets you do that part. I mean, they have 150,000 tracks. That's huge. Yeah. So you get to probably not listen to all of them, but you get to listen to them Picture what you want in your project, and then they do everything else. Yeah. Well, and even beyond that, they have music researchers. So 150,000 songs could be really kind of overwhelming. <laughs> yes. You know, you need to, like, shrink that. So they have experts that speed up the search with live music briefs and help people find the perfect track to tell the story, whether that's in an ad or digital or, you know, tonight's episode of Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if Grey's Anatomy is on tonight. No, but it's still very cool. And especially, uh, you know, we're living in a world where people are creating a lot of content and people are also getting their videos taken down from YouTube and such because they don't have licensed content. Yeah. So this is a way to not have that be you. Correct. So whether you're, you know, one of our pitch competition winners and you're just starting out and deciding to make like a little something on your own or a major television studio, I mean, they work with. Netflix, Viacom, Disney, Discovery, National Geographic, just to name a few. What I also think is cool, because I think music licensing can also be fairly expensive, from what I understand, uh, they are giving an exclusive 2019 ATX Festival promo for 20% off your first music license with Audio Network. All you have to do is email the team, atxpromo at audionetwork.com to redeem. In addition... I, I'm going to go listen to this. They've created a exclusive playlist for ATX. That's awesome. And we're going to put both that promo code and the playlist in the show notes. So you can go listen. Yeah. And then you don't have to write it down right now because you might be driving or jogging or <laughs> grocery shopping. You should not write it down if you're doing any of those things. No. But when you get home and you get back to your computer, check out the show notes, check out the playlist, and check out Audio Network. questions in the audience. I can't really see with this light. Oh, yes, we got one right. Okay, cool. So let's start over here. The challenge sometimes ends with an elimination and sometimes it ends on a cliffhanger. You kind of talk about how... Like, why? Why do we do that? It's okay, because it makes me want to come back the next week and see what happens. I'm just wondering, like, the editing and decisions you're making, is it like the content before that that's so good that we yeah, you could totally do this job. So it is. It's really like, you know, we designed the series to have a challenge and an elimination. Like, in theory, we do like an estimate of how many challenges and eliminations we'll get through through a cycle. Um, and when the storytelling is like better than our format, which happens a lot, we sort of let the storytelling drive when things happen. So sometimes we do have to push an elimination into the next episode because we don't want you to miss out on something that happened, you know, in the storytelling. So we really let it guide us. Although we have a plan, we sometimes have to skip over some steps in order for some of the best storylines to play out. Oh my God, I don't know if I can tell you, but we we might be. But I have to ask you, the audience, is that too much television? No. Because I figured, yeah. Yeah. The TV festival is going to tell you that's too much television. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. Um, let's go up here. Uh, I'm wondering if there's another competition show that's done something that has like, really impressed you. That you're like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. Or like, that was just a great moment. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. Okay. Um, I thought um, I thought bringing back Idol was very bold. I think that was a, that was a like a risky and bold move. I think the way that um, the challenge has introduced people from all different um, franchises has really opened up a lot of ideas and like has been really thinking as MTV. I think has a has a pattern of of like thinking ahead and looking to like international audiences and all of that I also think it's like it's like the very best of like the 70s TV when they did like Battle of the Network Stars you know like it's a it's like so good right so it's like you get to see all your favorites in one place I think that was really smart I thought um I mean 
I like have to shout out my voice family. I think they've done a good job of like, you know, like they still do two seasons a year and it's like on season like 123 in, in four years or whatever it's been like. So it's really hard to keep that very, very formatted show. So like it's nice to have format you know, flexibility and be able to do like the bachelor has also impressed me by the way they've like been changing their format up. And it's like it, it, in the beginning it was very segmented and blah, 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 blah. Like on the voice, we've always had to be very, very formatted because it's an international format that we bought from John DeMaul. Um, so it's a very formatted thing. So to keep that fresh has been, I think they've done a really good job of like making better packages and doing that and like making it. And even look, even losing Adam is like a big risk. Absolutely. I also just have to say, like, I agree. Like of, of the shows I wish I created, The Voice, The Bachelor is like the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I, there's seriously. like 70 hours of The Bachelor and people are so dedicated. In fact, that is one show that I will say that people tune in with each other to watch. Yeah. So they're really live viewing. And then Ninja Warrior, like oh, yeah. I can't find anyone who doesn't oh, love that show. God. I love that it's show. It's just so good. And you cry every episode no matter it's what. It's just so good. Like and my yeah. kids love it. Like yeah. who doesn't love Ninja Warrior? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um all right, let's go to another question. Right down here. Good question. <laughs> Emily, we know that you tried out for the real world. I did try. I did try out for the real world once. My parents are in the audience, and they probably don't know that. But thank you for sharing. Well, <laughs> I, well, the thing is, is you got pretty far down the I line. Did. I got to like, like the you third were, round. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty impressive. But I was in college, and I would have had to like drop out of college. So, so I was also in college when Road Rules came out, and I was like, I want to do that show. So I never tried out for it, but I did end up going to the company to try to get a job and ended up working on Wordles for them. But I will say that like that felt like even just working on that show, it was such an incredible experience for the people participating. And it was like a huge adventure, but also this really amazing growing experience. So like of shows I'd love to be on, I would still, you know, I don't know if they do it for like elderly, but I feel like it would be a really fun thing to do. Absolutely. What about you? New theme. Seniors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Road rules. Seniors. <laughs> Let's do it. I would watch it. Me too. Um, I wish I wish I had John DeMol's formatting brain. Like I after like I've been really lucky in my career to work with some really great people. Like I've worked with Mark Burnett, I've worked with you know, everybody at the Oscars. I've worked with John DeMaul, who created Fear Factor and Big Brother and The Voice. And like, he's got like a formatting brain I've like never seen before. It's like he is, I mean, he's tough, but he's, he's just, he just gets it in a way that like really, he just knows how to make like a, like a huge international format that now, which is why he's now like a multi-billionaire. But it's like, I, I have I I think I'm more envious of seeing that kind of like matrix of like here's where you do this at two minutes you do this at three minutes you do this at four minutes like he thinks literally like that like 90 seconds you do this blah, blah, blah. like yeah. and yeah. even his way of like monetizing stuff I think is super impressive like like the this is the voice like he makes money off of that every time it airs and it has to air all over the world so I'm like mm, that was smart so smart so smart. <laughs> Um, up up here, we have someone. Uh, yeah, I want to ask kind of a unique question about the post-production process. We'd love to mm -hmm. questions. How the shows come together from coming around the cuts, um, who weighs in on cuts when, um, how the format intersects, and sometimes you throw them out. Like, anything you can share uh, about that part of the process? Yeah, we have such an incredible team on the challenge, but also just at Buna Murray. Um, the the series is overseen by Jack Rayford. Um, who's the head of um, multiple shows, and but he's always done the challenge, even like 10 years ago, like 15, like he's been working on it forever. Um, and then we have our lead editor, our post producer, who basically does the finishing on every episode. And then depending on our delivery schedule, some editors do two or three episodes, some of them only do two, some do one. We try to use a lot of the same editors because every season, we really try to change up the style. And um, so we're you know, just getting them familiar with how to lay that out. We usually do about six weeks, five to six weeks to a rough cut that we share with our partners at MTV. And we have um, two to four executives that weigh in on that. 
Um, and then we probably do sometimes three or four rounds of notes. Um, we also have like standards and practices and legal. Like there's a lot of people that have to weigh in on a show, um, press and publicity and so on. So it's a pretty in-depth process and it's just checkerboarded. So we're basically rolling out every week a new cut and then they're still getting rough cuts and fine cuts and lock cuts and sometimes locked twos mm -hmm. because it's just part of the process. Um, and I think the one thing that people, like the post team is ginormous and incredibly gifted and they really do take thousands of hours of programming, of, of footage and, and then put it into what's a really riveting show across all of reality because you know if you're doing scripted you're really only dealing with the scenes that you shot and then you have one that the director is like that's it and then you kind of put that into your show we have like loggers and a story team like danny wasco has been doing our story for years he's basically taking all the material and then like crafting the best version of it so there's 99 percent of it ends up on the cutting room floor yeah, it's it's very similar. Like we we're probably four weeks out for every cut. There's a we're in a little different position because, but more and more shows will be like this as television gets more siloed and people start working with their own kind of teams, if you will. So like we're a Universal Television Alternative Studios production, so we get studio notes and NBC notes. So we have. Um, a rough cut and then like a second rough cut that goes to the network and then we have a fine cut and then a second fine cut. It's basically like it can be between five to six rounds of notes. We also have our shows a little is a little different in production because we also have like WGA writers like we have a writing staff. So we let them take a pass at before we even put out a rough cut, they're getting string outs of OTFs and they're getting the transcripts and they're like helping us pick their favorite moments, much like in scripted where they're picking their best, like their favorite, you know, uh, like riffs or their favorite jokes and how they would structure them. Then the story team simultaneously is creating what they think is their best story. And then kind of in the rough and fine cut process is us picking which stories are the best and which comedy moments are the best and who's going to win and shaping that. So it's kind of like a weave through, but I mean, I'm, I'm in post right now and we we've done, we put out three cuts this week. I have another one on Monday. So it's like, process. yeah, it's a watching a lot of cuts during the day. Yeah, absolutely. as you said, like it's a good thirty hours of like, let's watch this moment again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another question over here. Since you're so deeply involved in the industry, when you watch a show that you're not doing, do you watch it as a fan, or do you watch it and think like, what had to happen behind the scenes for this to happen? On that is a very good question. I have strict rules and I'm happy you asked. Um, I watch mostly competition shows, but in my, and when I do that, I do think about that. Like I think about, I constantly think about your challenge team. Like I probably think about your challenge team three times a week. Don't know any of them. <laughs> like just think about them constantly as opposed to like my challenge team, which is like craft producers being like, Chanel yarn is fun um it's the same right uh so but i refuse to ever talk to people who do like docuseries because i never want to know how that sausage is made because it is my true guilty pleasure like i just like want to believe that they are just following them 24 hours a day and the drama just happens and i never want to know what happens back behind the scenes at pump i just want to watch vanderpump rolls <laughs> yes all day. What about you? Um, I, I actually I watch so much unscripted during like my work that I spend a lot of time trying to like look at scripted and see the influence that it can really have on our genre as well. But I think certainly when you watch shows and you know how to cover mistakes, mm -hmm. you can see other mistakes yes. in other shows. And by the way, we all make them. There's just certain things where you're like, oh, it seems like they didn't get that shot because you have like a VO, but, um, but we all do it. We all do it. And it's, it's just part of like, you know, you can't help yourselves. I don't really see that in scripted, but I think sometimes in the running gun of reality, you don't always have it perfect. And I kind of love the imperfectness of nonfiction. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Right here. So but the flip side of that is 
side of that is would you ever or did you watch Unreal or shows like that? that Obsessed. I loved it so much. I couldn't get enough. <laughs> yeah, it was, I actually had a traumatic moment about this that I did talk to my therapist about where so <laughs> Where someone told me they reminded me of the, they reminded, I reminded them of the Constance Zimmer character, and I was like, literally for like two weeks in therapy talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an important, important thing. Which season was that? Um, what else do we have? Yes, right here in the middle. Mm. Well, they do. I mean, but we don't like, like, we didn't leave Natalie on the island. <laughs> yeah, that was very Bachelor but it, too. But it was very cinematic, like two wasn't one it? One bachelor style? Just kind of. But I mean, listen, with, like, we get those moments. And when we have, like, it. we're just like, we get to make a movie moment. Um, <laughs> we, um, they usually, they do leave the house right away once they get eliminated. We don't let them go back in and, you know, have conversations or anything. But they go into a hotel. Um, where they're supervised, and we usually do that to book their flight, and then we they usually do a final interview, which um, is outside of the show. So they're like brought to a different set, and um, and they they do their interviews, and then they do leave, unless there happens to be a house somewhere that has a bunch of people that will never be eliminated, and then they go into those <laughs> scenarios, which we've done a few seasons. Um, are they like do have they have to continue to stay off their phones during that time? What is the rule with that? It's so complicated. I, I yeah, so they do. They almost, so on top of the fact that they've been eliminated and they're out of it, they're almost like put on ice for the remaining time that we're shooting so that nobody knows that they've been eliminated. Right. Which I think is, you know, when somebody's like maybe bitter about why they left, it, those are the people that like you always have to kind of take aside and be like, listen, you know, we people need to do this together. Are you know, not everyone goes out gracefully. Of course, of course. <laughs> Reality TV. Uh, do we have another one? Yeah, right here. Hi, um, I don't know if you can answer this, but I think she got the idea from that one. Can you tell us more, like, how it worked with TJ? Like, obviously, he didn't stay in the house. Was he had, like, stay in a hotel and then, like, did he just roaming around the city when he was <laughs> 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 I'm so glad you're asking me about TJ. I love this. He's truly one of the most remarkable human beings I've ever met. He has been the host of our show forever. And, um, you know, we all work with different types of talent. He really insists on being treated like crew. He usually stays in the same hotel that the crew is staying in. He eats his meals with the crew. He always has his own car. But for the most part, when we're all shooting, when we're not shooting challenges, we're in foreign countries. TJ's going around meeting everybody in town he always like adopts people and i will say like i when i was when we were doing war of the worlds and i came to visit i was out there in namibia i walked down the street with tj and people were like shaking his hand like he was the mayor he literally just goes out of his way to meet people and go into villages and learn about the culture he's like a very special person i love that oh i love it so much um i think we might have time for one more if we have any other questions oh yeah straight back you mentioned uh, at the beginning about the casting, it's important to get real people. So what are the things that, what are some of the things that you're specifically looking for if you're trying to get someone who's going to be a real person and not just a crazy character or just someone who's just like trying to make something for TV? Someone who's like, how do you hone in on who a real person is? Um, well, good question. Uh, this is kind of follow th like follow through from like the voice and and making it, but I've also heard Top Chef and Project Runway do it this way too. Like your first round is based on talent. So it's like your first round is basically like, do they have the chops to make it through this? Like are are their projects things people wanna see? Like are they really talented? Then you're kind of, so it's like you're already kind of like filtering through people who may just be coming in to just wanna be on TV a little bit. Um, because if they just don't, if they just can't, if they can't cook, they can't be on Top Chef, you know, like it's like you have to be at a certain level. Um, and then you kind of have to, this is a lot of like where good casting comes in. It's like, it's a lot of like what your gut is. It's a lot of how you feel with them in the room. I highly recommend like doing like what we call executive callbacks where you sit in them in the room and talk to them and ask them stories and see what they're like in real life. Um, we actually bring 
our favorites in and set up like a tiny barn not really but like a conference room with like the making the actual making tables and like things and we actually make them make a project and then we go by with cameras and like literally talk to them and see how they talk through it see how they act and then they go from there into an interview room like we have like a multi-step process so that it always feels like they on camera are coming across as sincere but i i the w one thing I will say about competition shows in general is like it's all about the casting. <laughs> like it truly is. It's like if you don't have the if you don't have the people, no matter how amazing your challenges are, how well you shoot it, how many, you know, whatever you have, you just don't have com you don't have story, and that's what every show is about. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for coming and doing Thank this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for all your good questions. Enjoy the rest of ATX. The TV Campfire is produced by Caitlin McFarland, Emily Gibson, and AJ Myers, along with our audio partner, Five Ohm Productions. Mark your calendars. ATX TV Festival Season 9 is happening June 4th through 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit atxfestival.com and follow us on social media at ATX Festival. And be sure to check out our episode notes for a very special discount on badges exclusive to the TV Campfire podcast listeners. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast, and stay tuned for even more exclusive releases each week.